Kent's sermon this morning is, I am loved, and the scripture that he's going to be reading, uh, preaching from is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Thanks, Trey. What a beautiful song. Well, I hope uh, you enjoyed Vacation Bible School. I certainly know I did. Every part of it was outstanding. Our preschool, I heard they had over 45 four-year-olds. I wish I'd been teaching in that age group. But it's just wonderful what they did in the marketplace, and the temperatures were hot, but it could have been worse. It has been worse, and there was no rain. And, of course, here in the auditorium with the drama, seeing all the kids watch and listen and learn stories and the Bible come alive in their minds. The only thing I have against the drama was the finale, the last song, because I woke up every morning singing it. I cannot get it out of my head. When the world looks at me, then we'll agree that my heart looks like your heart. My heart looks, I just can't. It's there. It's stuck. What a beautiful song, and what a beautiful thought, because I hope that uh, at the end of the day, I want people to say that my heart looks like your heart. I hope everybody who sees me would agree that my heart looks like God's heart. That's where I want my identity to be. It's in God. And so we're in a series that helps us to have the identity that God has of us. There's a lot of things that try to define our lives, and the world loves to make that definition. But we need to allow God to define who we are. I love holding a little baby. Maybe you remember holding your child, a grandchild, or just any of our children around here. And do you ever just see them sleeping or hold them in your arms and you look into their eyes and you just wonder, I wonder who you'll be. I wonder what you'll do. What will your personality be? What will, how will God use you to make a difference in this world? And you try and, and think and imagine who they are. The world looks at us and they would love to define who we are, how we're going to act, what we're going to do. In fact, the world would love to shape us. And, and it, it does an awful lot to do that. But today we're going to look at the thought of who am I and the thought of I am loved. I am loved. Because we want not this world to define us. We want God to define us. And so we've been starting with these, we've started with these concepts, these big lies that Henry Nouwen pointed out about who we are. And so uh, if you agree, would you repeat after me again today? I, just a second, there we go. I am not what I have. I am not what I do. And I am not what other people say about me. And today we're especially going to look at this concept of we are loved. We are loved people. Because I am made in the image of God, I am chosen by God, I am His holy temple, and I am loved. Some of us were blessed to be raised in, an, in a loving environment. And while this concept of being loved is still challenging for us, it is feasible. Others really struggle with this concept, but it makes the reality of being loved no less real, 
no less impactful. There is great joy and release in knowing and being loved. This world works so hard to define what love is. In fact, if you wanted to watch any, almost any romantic love story, love movie, romantic movie, somewhere in it, very likely, the two people are going to find love, and then they're going to go looking for love somewhere else, and that's going to bring a lot of, of sorrow, and then they're going to come back together, and they're going to find love. That's a tragic love story, to, to leave love, to find it, and only to discover that you once already had it. I don't know if Urban Cowboy was a romantic love story, and I really don't want to know. I don't intend to ever watch the movie. But I do know that old John Travolta movie made another song very popular. It was sung by Johnny Lee, and it was Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. I looked at the words of this song, and I couldn't use them in a sermon at all, except I found a few phrases, this old honky-tonk song, that I could bring into to you today. And it is, I'm looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces, searching their eyes, looking for traces of what I'm dreaming of. And then the rest of it, you don't really want to know what it talks about. But it's that story of, I'm looking for love. And in this world that tries to define love, it tells us to pursue love in all the wrong places. And we look in the, the many faces of love, or the many faces that the world throws at us, and that's not what it is. All is. We're, we're dreaming of love, but we're looking for love in the wrong places. Because we don't know what we're looking for. Because if you want to find love, the Bible tells us very clearly that God is love. The place to find love is not in some honky-tonk. God is love. 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, don't get it turned around. It does not say love is God. Some people pursue and want to make love their God. And it does not say God is loving as if it's just one of the many attributes of God and it's just a small part of who God is. Don't water it down and just make it one of God's many attributes. God is love. It's his very essence. It's not one of his many activities. Instead, all that he does is from love because he is love. When he disciplines and teaches us, he does it with love. And because he loves, he disciplines and teaches us. He can do nothing without love. So love is much more than a feeling. God shows us that. Love is much more than a feeling. It requires a choice and an action. A lot of people are confused about love. I heard it described many times when I was younger about if love. You know, there's that if love. I'll love you if you'll follow me to Johnny's today and buy my lunch. I'll love you if you uh, do the right things and act the right way. Or I love you because. I love you because of your looks or your talents. I love you because of how you treat me. I love you because you're healthy. I love you because you're popular or because you have power. I love you because you drive the right car or the possessions you have. I love you because you make me feel good. The only problem is what if the if and the because of leaves? You know, Kent, I love you because you have such dark brown hair. I, I did, really. Trust me, I've got pictures to prove it. But things change. And if you just love somebody because of or if, what happens if the if and the because goes away? 
And so we need to be very careful because if we just love because somebody's lovable or he's a cuddly little puppy, all of a sudden they grow up into this rangy look, mangy looking dog, you know, things just change. But this is the worldly kind of love. But God's love requires choice and action. Because if you just love because things are loving or if they'll do the things for you, you're loving like the world loves. Luke, Jesus describes that in Luke chapter 6, verses 32 and 33. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are, are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. That's the worldly kind of love. If, you, if you're nice to me, then I'll be nice to you. Because you're nice to me, then I'll be nice to you. That's worldly love. That is not God's love. God is love. God describes his love in 1 John 4, 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And I heard that described as in spite of love. Not love just because of or if, but in spite of. And this is the kind of love we, we should have. I just want you to know, you have to be very careful how you declare in spite of love. Sweetheart, I love you in spite of that meal you just fixed. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't work so hot. I, I love you in spite of your mother. I love you in spite of what you're you know, wearing. It's hard to declare this kind of love, but it is easy to see. It's the mother who gets up at 2 in the morning with a sick child and holds them close even though they've made a mess and cleans up after them. It's the love of a husband who after many, many years of marriage cares for his wife and all of her needs during dementia. You see it. You've seen it. Not because of what you can give me or if you can do this for me, but in spite of, because I love you. You know, each of us have a life story and events that happen in our lives that are, are pivotal. They just, they, they're a turning in life where you something becomes clearer to you. And those become our story. And as a, a person who speaks to you often, I tell you those pivot moments in my life often. And I want to remind you of one, and maybe you haven't heard it before. It happened when I was in high school. Where I grew up uh, in a small little town, about the only thing to do was to, to drag Piggly Wiggly Lot, drag the pig and around the Sonic, or go to the lake and have parties. And that's what all, almost all my friends at school did. And, and we had a small youth group, but a lot of the kids in the youth group, that's what they did as well. And so my friends would often ask me to, to go party with them. And to tell you the truth, I, there's a part of me that didn't want to. But I'm telling you, there was another part of me that in English class on Monday, when we were all sitting in the back of the room talking, and they were telling the stories of the party and who acted and how they acted and what happened, I wanted to be a part of that. I felt left out. I, I felt like I wasn't a part of the group. So there was a big part of me that wanted to go. But my friends knew, but I never did. I, I used to tell them, no, I can't. I was a PK, a preacher's kid. I said, no, if I go, my dad could lose his job. Because he's a preacher. And I'd get in, so I used that excuse so many times. Or uh, my dad was a disciplinarian, and I had known what it was like to be spanked and also grounded. And so... No, if my dad found out, he would kill me. He'd ground me for life. You know, no, I can't. So I would use that as an excuse. I can't because my dad would lose my jo his job, or I can't because my dad would kill me, or he would punish me. Or... 
And, and that was my excuse. And I remember in high school, one more time, you know, another time where the, my friends were saying, oh, come on, Ken, it'll be so much fun. Go with us. And I pulled out the old standard. No, my dad would use this, lose his job. No, if my dad found out, he would kill me. And I tried to imagine what it would be like if I came home one night with alcohol on my breath. Now, everybody had their routines of how, how they came home when they were a teenager. I mean, yours was probably different than mine. But in my house, I was pretty trusted. And so when I would come home at night, mom and dad were usually in bed. And uh, in our house, when you walked in the front door, their bedroom was right to the left. You had to walk by their bedroom. And so when I would come home at night, and if they were in bed, I would knock on the door, I would open, and I'd say, Dad, I'm home. And, you know, they trusted me. Usually they didn't even get up. They said, glad you're home safe, and I went on to bed. They never had to come looking for me. But I imagine if I came home one night, and I'd gone out with my friends, and I'd been drinking, and I walked in the door, and my dad happened to be there, and if he smelled alcohol on my breath, I tried to admit, what would my dad do? Would he ground me for life? Would he, even though I'm a teenager, would he try to spank me again like I was a little child? And I had a very clear image. I mean, I knew what my dad would do. He'd shed a tear. <laughs> I'd break his heart. I didn't want to do that to my father. So the next time my friends asked me to go party with them, I said, you know... No, because my dad would kill me and he'd lose. I wasn't going to tell them that my dad would cry if I came home drunk. <laughs> but I, I knew that man, I didn't want to do that to my father. And all of a sudden, something changed. Now, I'm not saying I, I never did anything my dad didn't want me to do after that. But I am saying that I wasn't, didn't know, my reason for obeying my father made a fundamental shift that night. I hope you've experienced unconditional love like I did. Because when you do, you can't help but respond to it. And God loves us. He is love, unconditional. And that makes us act. It brings a change in our lives. Knowing that I'm loved impacts how I act. First of all, it, because how I act is not based on fear any longer. Now listen, sin is something to be feared. Doing what's wrong is wrong, and it has consequences. Paul says in Ephesians 2.1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. We should be frightened of sin, because what sin does is separate us from God. And it separates us now, but it also separates us for eternity, because God made us to love us and love us for eternity, and sin cannot be in heaven. So we should be frightened. We should be concerned about sin in our lives. 1 John 4.10 in our text, though, says, He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God, through Jesus, took care of our sin problem on the cross. And when John thinks of the ultimate display of love, he thinks of the cross. And we should as well. And at the cross, we should acknowledge our sin and our guilt. But don't miss the love at the cross. We were guilty. We are guilty. We have sinned. And yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. And so He loved us, and He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. 
Don't miss the love at the cross. And so now I don't act because if I sin, I'll, I'll be punished with hell. I don't sin because of a God who loves me so much that he took care of my sins because he wants me to be in his loving presence forever in heaven. That's where my actions come from. Now, don't be wrong. We should be afraid of sin. We should not sin. But don't miss the love. And knowing I'm loved impacts how I act. It doesn't mean that I never sin again. But I view sin in a whole different way. 1 John 4, 18, a little bit further in our text. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Knowing I'm loved like that changed how I acted as a teen. I didn't just act that way because of the fear of punishment, but because of a loving, because of the love that was shared with me. And knowing that I'm loved impacts how I act because I no longer feel like I have to earn that love. The whole text of 1 John 4.10, This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We operate in a work-based world. I mean, so if you, there are certain things I have to do and I need to be if I'm going to be a lovable person. I enjoy being around couples as they tell their story of meeting. You know, Brenda and I have our own story of, of meeting. And, and especially if I, I get to talk to couples who have been married 40 or 50 years. It's, it's fun that most couples, I don't know about you and your spouse or the person you're with today, but many couples have a story about who loved first. You know, how I fell in love first, and she didn't think I was that great, so I had to pursue her. I mean, I met my wife my freshman year. She worked in the library. I checked out books I never intended to read or study. And finally, by my senior year, I, I had the courage to ask her out. So everybody has this story. Who loved first? Who had to put on the sales pitch? But there is no argument in our relationship with God who loved first? It wasn't you and it wasn't me. God loved first. He made the first move. And so there is nothing we do to earn His love. We have it. We've had it. Another pivot point in my life was when I heard a preacher talk about this truth. It's been so long ago, I can't even remember who the preacher was, and I cannot quote him verbatim. But he was making this point. He was saying that there is nothing I can ever say or do that will cause God to love me any more or less than he already does. That was, that was shattering. That was life-changing to me. There is nothing I could ever say or do. I mean, tomorrow, or t this afternoon, I could go out and visit every person that's in a hospital and all of our people that are shut in at home or in a nursing home. And that would not make God love me any more than He does right now. Or tomorrow, I can go to work and do some things I should not do and act in ways I should not act, and it will not cause God to love me any less than He does right now. God's love for me is not based on my actions. It's based on who He is. 
So I don't need to earn his love because there's nothing I could ever say or do that would ever cause God to love me any more or less than he already does. That is a powerful truth. And I hope it changes, changes us. And when we understand God is love and what he has done for our life, it cannot help but change how we act and how we treat other people because my love for others is a natural outflow of God's love for me. It changes me. It changes how I act and how I react. Love from God and love for God is demonstrated in my love for others. And because I am loved, 1 John 4, 11 and 12, on in our text. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. God's love is demonstrated in how I treat others. We are a path from, through which other people can see and know God's love. And our love for others is not based on their actions. Our love for others is based on Christ. This truth is seen all throughout the Bible and all throughout the New Testament. But specifically, Paul makes this point in Ephesians chapter 5, where he's talking to husbands, and he's saying, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. In other words, our, the way we are to treat our wives' husbands is based on how Christ lived and how he acted. And so our love for others in this world is not based on what they do. It's based on what Christ has done. And if I'm having trouble loving others, then I might be struggling to understand and to know God's love for me might be a pretty good sign that I'm struggling with this issue. Because love from God and love for God is demonstrated in how I love others. He goes on to say how powerful this is. If we don't show this love for others, it means that we don't understand God's love. And we're not... Listen to 1 John 4, 20 through 21. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Anyone who loves God and knows God's love reflects that love. And God is love. And God loves all of us. We started out our worship and with our children with that beautiful passage in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What a beautiful, beautiful truth. You've probably seen the comparison between John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16. I've always enjoyed that parallel. For he expressed that love again. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We know it. But he goes on to talk about what difference that makes. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, just like Christ. That's how we should act. So when I understand God's love, it changes how I act towards others. You know, we've been talking about those big lies, and uh, we even read them repeated after me, those of you who agreed with them, about how it changes us. It occurs to me that we ought to look at other people in that light as well. And to not accept those big lies when it comes to our brothers and sisters and, the, and even the people in this world. And so, others are not what they have. 
Others are not what they do. Others are not what people say about them. They are made in the image of God. They are the temple of God. They are chosen. And they are loved. They are loved. So how we see others changes with this concept. But I want to come back around to to me and to you, to us today, as we gather here. With this concept of I am loved. Because it makes a huge difference in our lives. You're not loved if or because. In spite of everything we've done, we are loved because God is loved. And brother and sister in Christ, there is nothing you can do to get out of that love, to stop being loved by God. God loves us. He loves us so much He made us so He could love us. He gave us choice so that we could respond to Him in a loving manner, knowing that we would sin. So He showed that love again in sending Christ as atoning sacrifice for our sins so that we could be in heaven because sin can't enter heaven. If I'm a sinful person, if I were to enter into heaven, I would bring sin with me. Then it wouldn't be heaven anymore. Sin cannot enter the presence of God. So he sent Jesus as the atoning sacrifice to make me whole and perfect and new so I could be in his loving presence forever. That's what he did for us. And we should have confidence in that love in Jesus because only sin can separate us. Nothing else will. Actually, nothing can separate us from God's love. I mean, nothing can make God stop loving us. Listen to this beautiful truth in Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loves you, and he will always love you. And there's nothing that can make him stop loving you. And that should change how we act. And so we look at our statements again. And once again, I'm going to ask you to repeat them after me if you believe in these, and add another one. So together, I am not what I have. I'm not what I do. I am not what other people say about me. I am loved. loved. Yep. Don't be a tragic love story. Looking for love in all the wrong places. You are loved. Don't let the world define love. Define how you should act or what you should do. Return to your first love. Return to the one who loved you first. If you've never put on Christ in the waters of baptism, that is the place where the old person dies and the sins are buried. And when you raise from the waters of baptism, you're a new person. Christ has cleansed you, and you are clothed with Christ. And because you're clothed with Christ who paid the price for your sins, 
you can be in the eternal presence of God in heaven someday. God loves you. He always has. He always will. Don't you want to be in his presence forever? Don't you put him on in baptism today? For those of us who need to be restored, it's time to come home. He never stopped loving you. Won't you come home? Stop looking in all the wrong places. Just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song. And a couple of our shepherds and their wives are going to go to the parlor. This might be a day that you want to go just visit with them in private and let them pray with you and talk with you. They'd be honored to do so. Or if you want to respond publicly, we didn't welcome you down front. You need to respond. Won't you do so right now as we stand together and sing?